We're good to go. All right. Well, welcome. Good evening, everybody. I'd like to welcome those who are watching on live stream. Uh, if you're at home, you can certainly grab your Bible and your notebook, and we're going to get uh, started soon here. For those of you who are in the, uh, in the house, I should say, uh, welcome, church. It's good to see you guys tonight. Um, super excited about being here this evening, as always. And um, I don't know what kind of day or week you've had, but it's always uh, good to be I would say be in the house of the Lord. This really is the house of the Lord. It's we're we are gathered as a body of believers, and uh, and so it's always good to to be together. So, um, how was your week? Everybody had a good week, hard week, difficult week, good some good, some bad, some otherwise. It's been a pretty good week for us. We, it was challenging. We had to uh, we had to put our one our cat down, who was a nineteen year old kitty, and that was very. That was one just two days ago. It feels like a a month ago, but it was just all the all the emotion that comes with that, and and it's interesting how how the common graces that God has given us, the the, the sunshine and the clouds and the beautiful nature that He's provided, and and these domestic animals that we are entrusted with, and how close that we can we can we can come and, and get to those animals. And some people are really strong animal lovers, and some are not. And oh, pauper, oh. So a lot of people that know, know, you know, a lot of people have talked to Deb and uh, offered consolation and, and uh, he was a great cat, you know, but, and uh, I know heaven does say that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, Randy Alcorn talks about the great author, by the way, great book on heaven, but uh, there will be a heaven and earth. We will be in that. There more than likely will be animals. Are our pets going to be there? I don't know. It's not in the Bible, but I would just venture to say maybe based on God's goodness and gracious you know nature that that they might be but it's um oh they have to be personal they have to. they can't be for everybody i'm not sharing my grayly with anyone else <laughs> but anyway but God is good he he he's good even through times like that but um well i got a couple of announcements for you briefly i just want to go through those uh, we're going to continue with our prayer on the property uh, Thursday morning, which is tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Uh, it's a great time of prayer. And um, and Maureen even said, if you can't be present on the property, you could text her or get a hold of her with your prayer request, and she'll get the prayer request to you. And you can stop everything you're doing wherever you are at that time and just pray. And so, but it's so nice to be able to meet on the property. And, 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 and on the heels of that, this uh, coming Sunday, again, we're going to have a picnic on the property. Just bring your own lunches after church if you want to come to the property and under the beautiful oak trees and, and, uh, and just gather. I think like Giovanni and Benedetta were there and then he brought uh, a bocce, bocce, yeah, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. I'm from Florida. So, uh, but it, you know, a little game in the lawn. And so there's just, people bring Frisbees just to have fun and enjoy that. It's, so those are a couple of, of the activities that are going on on the church property. You can, um, even if you live close enough, you can ride your bikes over, you know, hint, hint. <laughs> um, anyway, so good to be here tonight with you. Um, let's just go ahead and begin with prayer, shall we? Father God, we, um, we come to you tonight, uh, regardless of, of what kind of day we've had, Father, we just come to celebrate who you are and to gather and to learn about you and to study your word, Father, and to learn theology and doctrine and the good things that uh, come out of your word, Lord. We're grateful for uh, how you've spoken to us through your word, and Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would again illuminate this text uh, for us, um, and that we might receive uh, whatever it is that, uh, Father, that you have for us in your word, Lord. Uh, we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, I'd like to just kind of review last week. I had a few people who weren't here last week, and I always still want to come and do a quick review because this passage really is one thought to the next. And sometimes we see chapters or we see sections, and they're not necessarily, some shouldn't really even be divided. They, they really are, are almost a, a flow of thought, and, and it's a letter that's being written. And you wouldn't take a letter that you've written to a loved one and just kind of divide it up into sections and, but I know that they did that when they, you know, when they when they did the canonization of Scripture. But 
as a full, complete thought, it's important to, re, to go back to what we learned last week. And there were some really good takeaways last week. I was really uh, challenged by some of that, as I hope some of you were. But just to review, from chapter 5, we, uh, uh, from the text we were in, just a few verses, um, uh, since we have, so it says, therefore, since we have such a great and compassionate high priest. Remember, we saw that he was great because of where he ascended to and the three levels that were tied and paralleled into the, what, our, what the current high priest of the generations of Jews did, how he walked from one, they went from one section to the next. Um, so he was a great high priest, the greatest, and he was also a gentle and compassionate high priest, which was a requirement of high priest in, during those times. And so we know that Christ qualifies because he is a great, greater, the greatest high priest. He's compassionate and gentle, and he was chosen and selected as well, like the high priests were chosen back then. Um, so because of those things, we were, we were directed or uh, instructed or encouraged to do two things from that. First was to hold fast to our confession, to, to cling tightly to what we know. Um, the author is telling these, these, these group of Hebrews to, 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 since you know these things, you certainly must now remain and hold fast to what you know. If there's not a better reason that, that I've explained earlier in the text, it's that Christ is the, our great high priest. And, and this whole thing is just laying out so many arguments to these sometimes hard-headed Jews. And we're going to see that as we get into this. Um, first thing is to hold fast to our confession of the true gospel of what they what was presented to them. They had the they had the the Old Testament. They had Christ had already come. They had the teachings of the apostles. They had years and years of 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 knowledge of what the true gospel was. And that's what the author is telling them to hold fast to. Secondly, we must uh, boldly and freely because of the compassion of Christ feel free to approach the throne of grace with our confessions, our sins, the things that they would normally take to a high priest on the one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. So, but, but also to come with for help in time of need because we have such a compassionate high priest. And so those are two of the things that, that should springboard off of our, of our knowledge of a great and compassionate and truly uh, honorable and uh, appropriate high priest. So the second thing last week is that through Christ's perfect life, his perfect obedience, his perfect sacrifice, and his perfect suffering, he became the source of eternal salvation. And so we kind of focused on last week on that little, that, that, that's, that's doctrine right there. That, that's Christology. And those are big, scary words sometimes, but we're going to talk about that more. But because of those things, because he was perfect, he was the source of our eternal salvation. Uh, but then, the, then if you look at, if, if, as in kind of as we, uh, coming into the text tonight, but if you look at that verse 9, 5, 9, chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. And then it continues. Now, the focus truly is, he is the source of salvation. That is, that is a, a key doctrine. But also, I didn't want to miss, and I felt like I might have overlooked it last week, is to all who obey Him. That's obedience. It's, Christ said, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. That's obedience. Now, we can profess to love Jesus and have a relationship with Him. I've got a great relationship with Jesus. I'm doing fine. But if you're not obeying Christ and, and following His commands, there's something missing there. And I know we're not perfect, and, and, and we'll get there someday. And as we continue on this road of drawing more near to Christ and learning more about Christ, we should be gradually becoming more and more obedient. We're not the same person we were, we were five years ago or five months ago. We've talked about that. So, uh, but it, it's important that to all those who obey Him, um, I thought that was just a, a neat thing because if you love him, you will obey him. And then verse 10, being designated by God 
a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I just want to also make clear that that last portion there, again, one more time, about understanding that Christ is the perfect atonement for our sins. He was the perfect and um, ex beyond acceptable because of everything he did and the perfection of everything he suffered and did, that he was the source of salvation. That is a doctrine that we learned last week. The two other things we learned were simply um, exhortations or encouragements to in our lives to, to uh, as we live our Christian lives. So, but just make a note of that. So as we uh, continue on here, let me just make sure I'm, I'm, I'm Sometimes I, I take really strong notes right in my Bible. I have one of the Bibles that has the columns on both sides. But then if I stick too much here, then I get lost with what I wrote down over here, and then vice versa. So I'm trying to go back and forth a little bit. So just an overview of tonight's teaching. I want to, I want to do that. Um, if there was a title, it would simply be Growing in Maturity. Growing in Maturity. I-N. Growing in Maturity. Um, and in addition to that, at the very onset of the teaching of Hebrews, we talked about all the divisions of the, of the chapter, or the chapters, and all the warnings and all of the comparisons. This right now is we're beginning to enter the third warning. This is the third warning or exhortation to this group of Jews, the Hebrews, that he's writing to. And so this is part of that third warning that's coming up, just to give you an overview. So in this section... Uh, the author, and this is on the heels of making a case that Christ is the true and greater compassionate high priest, he warns the Hebrews, just an overview, he's going to warn the Hebrews that if they remain in a stunted state, a stunted state, a stunted spiritual state, they may do two things may happen. They may lack discernment and they'll also lack the ability to teach and share the gospel with others. So they need to move from the basic starting point of salvation and continue towards the goal. And so what we have here is not necessarily a frustrated author, although it might read that way, but we go from this talking about... Jesus being our great high priest and being better than the Aaronic, with, from the word Aaron, the priesthood, being a better, so it's, it's kind of weighty stuff. And so as the, as the author is coming out of this part on, Christo, on, on uh, Jesus being the great high priest, which is kind of some heavy doctrine in there, he, he, he's beginning to move into chapter 6, or the, the next section, where he's going to be talking about Christ, the high priest, being of the order of Melchizedek. And all of the Hebrews and Jews knew from the Old Testament who Melchizedek was. He was both a king and a high priest. And he was even better than the, the Aaronic priests. He was greater than because he was both a high priest and a king, as Christ was in the order of. And we're going to get much more into that later on, but you can understand where He's, he's talking about Christ's priesthood, and then he's going to go deeper with, with the Christ being in, in the order of Melchizedek, which is kind of weighty stuff. But he stops. The author stops, and he, and he kind of takes a pause back because he, maybe he feels like he's writing these things, but then has to go, okay, hold on a second. Before we get into this next section, I want to exhort you and encourage you and to kind of call you out a little bit because I don't even know if you're ready for this stuff that we're actually going to go into. And so just for a moment, pretend like you guys are all the, the Hebrews, and, 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 you're, and, and you're just sort of in this really strange spiritual state. And I'm, I'm the writer of this, and I'm going, okay, hold everything. We just talked about Christ being a great priest, and here's why. And we're going to continue talking, but we're going to go a little deeper. But before we get there, I, I'm, I'm a little discouraged, and I want to want to stop for a second and, and try to explain what I'm seeing from you guys, and I want to stop and, 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 and address something, and then we're going to move on, okay? And so that's kind of what this author is doing here, just to give an understanding of what's happening as we enter this chapter. Chapter 6 of Hebrews, 6 and 10 are one of the most difficult passages 
that a lot of scholars wrestle with in the Bible. And as we come into this, I want to make sure we lay a solid groundwork uh, for as we step into this, because this, this can go any direction, uh, depending on what people believe. And so, um, to me, we're only going to take it up to six, probably six, three or four, probably three, because the section after that is weighty, but it needs, ex- needs explaining on its own. So, so th- this, this thing is divided up into sections, and each section kind of uh, informs the next section. And so, um, so as we, let's just go ahead and dive into this. So we're, let's go to chapter 5, verse 11. And we're just going to start with the text, and we're going to roll through this and just kind of try to manage this and see how we get through this. Okay, so verse 11. About this, about what? What's he talking about right there? He's talking about all that he was talking about Christ being the perfect and great high priest, which, again, to the, to the Jews who had thousands of years of a Levitical priesthood, and how they had to go, that's all they knew, and then the Messiah came and erased all that. That's what, that's what the gospel was. And so he's talking, so as he's coming into this, he's saying about this, in other words, what we just talked about, what I just explained, we have much to say. And when he says we, he just means he's talking communally as, as a group of believers. He's, we have this much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> That's pretty strong language. Dull of hearing, yeah, exactly. That was a perfect for <laughs> so dull. And so, so he's saying, and it's not necessarily a, a complete slam, but it's it's what any good pastor or writer would do. And that's why I look at this and go, well, maybe it is Paul. You know, I'll give Brenton that on this on this thing. But I don't know. But whoever it is, it's someone that cares so deeply that as he's going through this 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 conversation and this and making a case for Christ, they're stop, he's stopping and going, I, I care enough about you to, to pause and let's address something that I see before I continue. That's what he's doing here. So dull of hearing simply means stunted growth in this context. Dull of hearing means, means they've, they've heard these things and yet they, they remain. They, they've not grown. So as we continue, you'll see this. Verse 12, it says... For, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, what does that infer there? What do you mean by this time? Well, it presupposes that this author knows that this group of believers has, been, has, heard, has heard the gospel and has been practicing Christianity for quite some time. In fact, enough time... That the, that the author here goes, listen, guys, you've had plenty of time to, to move past the basics. In fact, right now, you're still, and we're going to get into it, you'll see as, as this gets more explicit, but he goes, you should be teaching now, not just receiving. And so that's what he's referring to there. He says, by this time, in other words, you've had long enough, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Oracles of God simply referring, in this passage, referring back to the words of God from the Old Testament and some of the new that was what was existing in, in the letters. And so it's basically saying you need someone to kind of review stuff with you again. That's how, that's how uh, stunted you, you are. You're just not moving, you're not growing. And so he sa- he's kind of a little frustrated in a way, I think, and he says you need someone, in verse 12, Uh, to teach you once again the basics of the oracles of God. And he says, you need milk. Now, this is a reference that is all throughout the scriptures. It's in Corinthians. Paul uses it a lot. Okay, Brenton, maybe it's Paul. But but, but, but talking about going from meat or from milk to solid food, it's a a very clear. Anybody who's been around a baby or has had a baby or knows what a baby eats, they're, they're helpless and they just, all they have is milk. It's something that they can easily digest. And they can easily grasp, and it, and it gives them enough nourishment. But at some point, when that, when that baby transfers to toddler and to child, they need to eat more to sustain themselves. And it's this really strong analogy in that 
you, you, you still are on milk. You're still, you're still only at a level where you're drinking milk. You need to be eating a food by now, okay? And so there, there's the analogy there. That's, it's, it's all throughout the Scripture. So it says you need, and this is in chapter, or verse 12 again, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk. Now notice that lives on milk. Now it's one thing, let me make a distinction here. When a new believer first enters the Christian realm of living, it's perfectly acceptable. They should be on milk. They have to understand the basics, the basics of the gospel, just that who God is, what man did, what God did by sending his son, and how those are just the very simple things, of the, the, the doctrines of salvation, just the very basics. So you need that. So it's, but, but when, when a new believer is on milk, that's wonderful. It's in the new believers class. Or, you know, and you've seen people come into the church and they're, they've just, they're wide-eyed and they're excited and they don't really know much, but they're super energetic and they, they, they have this you know, great relationship with Jesus and, and all this, but then sometimes something will come and they'll hit a wall and they'll crash a bit. And they're still on milk. And so there's a, there's a natural progression that a believer must take to get off of milk, to wean off the milk and, and, and start eating solid food. And so it's one thing for a new believer, it's acceptable for a new believer to be on milk, but it's not acceptable for a group of believers or a believer who, have, who know the truth to remain there. And I think that's what the, 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 what's what the author's saying here, is you need to move on. And there's a couple reasons why. So, you need milk, not solid food. In other words, you're saying you still are in this state. And so, but, but for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of the word of righteousness. In other words, God's word. What we know, what we know about God from his word and what God says from the Bible, the text. And so that's where the growth happens. That's the meat they're referring to or the, the full food. And so they know the basics, but they're not, they're not ingesting uh, the word of God. And so um, for everyone who lives on Moses 13 again, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Okay. Um, but now let me hold on one second here. I want to, in fact, I'd like to read something. Turn with me, if you will, kind of save your place there. And again, considering lives on, happily sustained on the basic truths of the gospel, turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16, and keeping in mind, unskilled in the word of righteousness, okay? So chapter, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, yes, 2 Timothy, sorry. Chapter 3, and we all know this verse, these verses that we should. 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all, and notice the word all. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Remember, it just said, by now you ought to be teaching, but they weren't. All scriptures bring that by God are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the author here of Hebrews has in mind for these people. In other words, you're still drinking milk. You probably need to remain there, but you, I'd really rather you start consuming the Word of God so you may be complete in all these things. And so that's just kind of a cross-reference that, that popped into my head on this um, when it talks about unskilled in the Word of righteousness since he's a child. Um, So what is solid food? Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. 
for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's, there's two things, I think, in this text here that the author is concerned about. Because he's, he's concerned primarily because he wants to, he wants to go deeper with, the, with this, this group of people that he's, that he's writing to in this particular section. He's wanting to talk about something that's very doctrinal. It, it's, it's a core, core doctrine, and it, it's, it's theology, if you will, the study of God or, or Christology, the study of Christ. And so he's wanting to go deeper, but he's, he's wanting to say, you know, I really want to encourage you to get off the easy stuff and move forward and to get into the heavy stuff. And there's two reasons why we see in this text that we should do this. And, and this could really, now, when, something is, when there's something being written to a certain group of people in the Bible, sometimes it's, it's applicable, applicable to us, and sometimes it's really meant for that section. Sometimes the Old Testament things, we take some things out of context sometimes. There's a lot of verses we'll take out of context, and that really was for a special time for a special group of people. But this here is for anybody in this day and age, because we all become believers, and we all ha have that period in our, in our lives where we're, uh, where we're just drinking milk. But at the same time, and I would, you know, sometimes when, when people are in a Bible study, it's almost like I'm preaching to the choir here, like you guys know all this stuff. And just the fact that you're present means that you have a desire for the meat. And so in a way, I'm not really talking to you guys, but I'm just con I'm, I'm, I'm laying a groundwork out so that you're aware of, you know, when we look at people or we're communicating with other believers, maybe someone's new to the church or maybe they're new to the faith, there's a time at which we need to encourage them to move forward and to go deeper. And in fact, for all of us, there might be someone that's been in church their whole lives, but is still at the very basic level, still drinking milk, so to speak. Sure, they go to church. They, got, they have a great relationship with Jesus, you know, but a storm comes and they have nothing to stand on because they just don't know, the, they don't understand the basics, the meat, oh, sorry, not the basics, but they understand the doctrine they'll meet. And so a lot of times people poo-poo uh, the study of theology, uh, the study of doctrine and, and understanding of what the Bible was really saying in, in a good Bible study. They're like, well, I'm, I don't need Bible study. I go on Sundays and, I, and I, I like to sing in my car to the radio, you know, to Christian songs. That's wonderful to a point. There's a point at which in a Christian's life, you need to be pursuing and, and understanding this book because this book is the, the true 100% accurate presentation of what, who God is and all the things about God. That's theology. It's a study of God, right? So there's two things that, 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 that this, this uh, a Christian life can actually be hindered by. There's two things. The first is that when you're remaining on milk, it limits your ability to teach and instruct and, 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 and to share hard things. So if you have someone that comes at you and they're highly intellectual, and they ask you a very difficult question. Well, why is Christ the only way? Or, or, or explain to me about creation and how that reconciles. Or uh, what do you mean by the word atonement or propitiation? What does that mean? How can that be? And there, you'll get someone that every once in a while that has some deeper, darker questions. Not darker, but just harder questions. And so a good understanding of what the Bible says really helps. And if you remain on milk, the author's saying here, in fact, he says, he said, you should be teaching by now, but you're not. And so that presumes that people should be teaching and able to answer the hard questions. The second thing is what we see in there in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. That should be us. For those who have their powers of discernment trained remember what it said in Timothy, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A lot of times when Christians in maybe larger evangelical churches aren't really, where, where the focus really isn't on solid teaching, it's more man-centric and maybe feel good and just, you know, sends you home all happy and oh, I felt great about that. If you're not leaving every once in a while from church going, ouch, 
you know, that hurts. Like Pastor Greg said, if, if, if I'm stepping on your toes, start moving your feet, you know. Um, they're, they're, if you don't understand some of the harder parts of Scripture and study them, then when it comes to times of discernment, a lot of believers won't know what to do. Should I, you know, should I watch this? You know, some, the, the book came out a while back called The Shack. And if you really look at the book, it's theologically heretical. It's, it's incorrect. There are movies that come out. Oh, have you watched this particular series? Well, should you really be watching that series? Because it's really not correct. Or this movie, or, or someone comes at you with a, a, a kind of a philosophy. Of, you know, what about this? Have you considered? And, you can, and if you don't have that discernment from being mature by understanding the Word of God and the doctrines, then you might be swayed. And especially a, a, a believer or someone still on milk, they're, they're going to get tossed back and forth. And so I think the author is really encouraging the people here, the Jews, to dig in deeper because waves and waves are coming and they're gonna, they're gonna, you're going to be hit with things. And especially nowadays for us where evil is good and good is evil. And it's almost like we're being gaslit into, you know, what do you mean you won't, you know, what do you mean you, don't, you won't go to this, you won't support this wedding, you know? Uh, what do you mean you, you won't go see this movie? It's just a, a little bit of this in it. Or, or, and if you don't have a good grounding here in this doctrine, you're going to be swayed by anything. And so that's this why, this why it says here, you, uh, you, the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. In other words, digging into the Word and knowing this to distinguish good from evil. And the lines are blurred these days. And so it's very important to uh, have a good understanding of that. So, lost my place. Here we go. Number two of the two things, the first thing is that it limits not being, not given meat, limits our call to be ministers or teachers of others. Secondly, it handicaps us in the ability to discern wrong and damaging doctrines and false teachers. Thank you for saying it because I don't even think I said number two. I got sidetracked. So the first thing, when you're still living on milk, it limits you and it limits our call because we're all called to be ministers, right, of the gospel. We're called to teach. Um, but it also handicaps us in the ability to, to discern wrong and damaging doctrines or even good from evil, it says here. And the big one is false teachers. That was a big thing. False teachers were leading Jews away from Christianity left and right. It happened all the time. And they were being swayed by things. And especially nowadays with, with all this, everything, it's just, it's easy to be swayed. And so you have to have an answer. And that answer really can only come from knowing what it says. So here's where the author begins to get a little more encouraging. Um, so as we come into six here, so this setting it up, basically in five, he was saying, hey, guys, love you. That's, that's why I'm writing these letters to you. I want to teach you some really strong things, but I fear that you're still waiting around as babies and infants. You need to grow up. You need to move forward. And, and so that there's this. And so here he's saying now, so therefore, I love this in chapter six, he says, therefore, verse one, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's just pause right there, okay? Because sometimes people get a little confused by that. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ that simply means you did it. You know it. Let's move forward now. It doesn't mean like forget about it or just dismiss it. No, that means you know that now. You've built the foundation of your house. Let's start laying the bricks. Let's start building the foundation that's, that's in Christ. And so he's, that's simply what he's saying there. And so when it comes to leaving the elementary doctrine of Christ, and going on to maturity, that's what he's encouraging people to do, is to, is to 
grow up and mature. And so I, I want to talk about something. And again, just the, you know what I love? I love the fact that we have men's Bible studies twice a week, digging into the Word of God. We have women's Bible studies. We've got prayer time. Now we have, is it four or five small groups starting? Five or six small groups starting. There will probably be more. And they're all directed at, now, small groups, mind you, love one another, care for one another. Um, my my in-laws had a Sunday school class at, a, at another church we were at for years, and that Sunday school class became one of the strongest small groups or fellowship groups or whatever you want to call it. Someone had a problem, they were all at the hospital helping. Someone needed their roof fixed, they were all there to help them out. And so... And yet it was based on solid study of the Word of God. And just the outflow was just a communal response that they had with one another, studying the Word of God together. And so we've got a Sunday school class that just started at the church. There were 23 people in the first morning, I think. And that's exciting. Um, the small groups, um, it's just so many good things happening. This Bible study is fantastic. I keep poking Greg. I'm like, hey, when are you going to come back and teach? I wanted to step in. He's like, I'd love to. I'd love to because he was getting the men's group on their, off, on their feet, basically, on Wednesday mornings. And so he'll be coming back to do some teaching as well over the as we come up into the uh, winter and fall here or spring. So lost my train of thought. So uh, what were we saying? Um, I, I, I love the fact, sorry. I, I, I just love the fact that we are not necessarily like Vero group fellowship or Vero Beach Fellowship. We are a Vero Bible Fellowship, a church that is truly based on uh, understanding the truth of God's Word, loving one another, having fellowship. But really, primarily, we, we, we're wanting to grow in Christ. It's not just to feel, not all messages are going to be feel good. We want to be challenged. And, and I mean, this some of this stuff is hard to, to watch. But anyway, so as as we consider growing, and some people like are like, well, where do I go? I don't understand some of this stuff, or how do I begin to learn these things? Well, by going to Bible study, for one, and, 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 and navigating some of these passages. But I want to point something out. There's a great book. I, I love this book. It's called Everyone's a Theologian. Everyone in here is a theologian. If you study about God, you are a theologian. You're practicing theology. You're learning doctrines. At the end of chapter 5, we learned a doctrine. It's called Christology, about Christ. But this book is fantastic. And what it is, it's a... It's a let me just read the value... The, what's that? Uh, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul. If you're, if you're wanting to dabble in understanding the depths of Christian doctrine a little bit more, uh, and I know that sometimes it's a scary word to people, doctrine. Oh, I don't know the doctrine. I just want to love Jesus. That's fine. You can love Jesus, but you really need to do what the author's saying here. And again, just by being in Bible study is a huge step. That's, that's why we're here. But this book here, let me just read an excerpt from you from the beginning of this. The value of theology. The real question concerns the value of all such study, theology. Many people believe that theological study holds little value. They say, I don't need theology. I just need to know Jesus. Yet theology is unavoidable for every Christian. It is our attempt to understand the truth that God has revealed to us, something every Christian does. So it is not a question of whether we are going to engage in theology. It is a question of whether our theology is sound or unsound. It is important to study and learn about God because God has taken great pains to reveal Himself to His people. He gave us a book, the Bible, one that is not meant to sit on a shelf pressing dried flowers, but to read, but to be read, searched, digested, studied, and chiefly to be understood. An important text in the writings of the Apostle Paul was found in his second letter to Timothy. And we just read that. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And uh, I'll read it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped. It doesn't, well, complete doesn't mean done and finished. We won't be that way until glorification, but complete in who he, what he knows about God, equipped for every good work. That text should put an end to claims that we do not need doctrine or that doctrine has no value. There is profit from a careful study of the Bible. Because the Bible is inspired by Almighty God, it gives us a valuable and profitable asset, and that asset is doctrine. Now, some of you are simply asking, doctrine sounds fancy, I don't know what it is, and, but here's some of the basics. I'm just going to read out from the chapters in this book. It's a great book, and, and, and R.C. Sproul is a writer who can take very complex things and make them very easy. If you've read R.C. Sproul, he's got a great book called The Holiness of God, and it's just so, it's such an easy read, but it's so profound. And he had a way of taking very complex things and almost speaking like a child in some ways, and it's make things very clear and very simple. But some of the things in here, um, theology proper, the knowledge of God, one in essence, three in person, that's the Trinity. Some of you understand these things. Anthropology and creation, talking about angels and demons, the creation of man, nature, sin, all those things. Christology, talking about one person, two natures, that's Christ, the names of Christ, the states of Christ, what did Christ do? Substitutionary atonement, that's where we are right now. Um, and it goes on, pneumatology. Does anybody know what pneumatology is? P P N E U M A T O. I didn't know what it was until I saw it. The study of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. And just talks about the Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit? Um, soteriology, ecclesi ecclesiology, and eschatology. Now, those are all really, really fancy words, but if you look at the table of contents, and you're free to look at this book, it's just very simple things. Eschatology is simply the study of end times. Ecclesiology is the study of the church, what the church should be. Soteriology is the study of salvation. And so these are just, this is just, it's not that big. And each chapter is just a few pages. It's just really a great book. But I say these things to say that we need not be afraid of studying doctrine and theology. But there is a tipping point where just the study of it alone isn't quite enough. It's the application. We, I mean, there's no one that knows what the Bible says more than Satan himself, right? You can't tell me that Judas didn't hear everything that Christ said. You know, and there's many, Saul, he, he, he fell away at the end. Look what happened to Judas. Look what happens to dozens and dozens of the people in, in our social media, in our, uh, our the, the world is so open now, and we know everything about everyone, and, and people from Christian bands to podcasts that once claimed to be believers that were actually on the mission field and college campuses are now apostates. They're denying it, rejecting it, and doing everything they can to besmirch the name of God, to, to deny what they once knew. And so, th this is where this chapter is going, talking about that scary word of apostates. And it's not that scary when you really realize what it is and what it isn't. Um, so I, I just would encourage, um, encourage you to not be afraid of, of understanding good doctrine and understanding theology. And where was I? Okay, I'm circling back to the application. Each, I, I studied a couple of the, the, the people that are more contemporary, uh, Josh Harris, and there was a guy that was in a Christian band, and, and, and some of those guys knew the doctrines of theology. They knew some of the apologetic things, but there's that application, there's that belief that, that has to happen. You can know everything in the world, but unless you apply it, uh, it's, it's just head knowledge, you know, and we've talked about that a million times. And so, but, but it is important to understand. So let's continue just as we go through this uh, in verse chapter six here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. I just want to explain this part to you, and we're going to wrap it up in verse three uh, and move on to not laying again a foundation. In other words, 
not rehashing everything that you already know. And here's the things that you know. Uh, a foundation of repentance from the dead and, and work, uh, excuse me, a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Those things go together. That's denying your old life, your old sin self, and moving forward with Christ. These are the basics of salvation is what they are. Two, verse two, and the instruction about washings, more commonly known uh, as baptism, the laying on of hands. When someone would enter a church, the, when the Holy Spirit came on them, they would lay hands. It's a, it's, these are things that referred back to markers of, a, of someone becoming a believer. Uh, the resurrection of the dead uh, and the eternal judgment, those two go together. That's the end times, basically, and the, the, the final judgment that God. So those are the very, very basic understandings of the early Christian conversion to Christianity. So he's saying, we don't need to repeat these things. We don't need to lay the foundation of those things again. And then in verse 3, he ends with this, and this we will do. So he's just really kind of, before he moves on to the next section, he's settling in and going, let's do this. This we will do together, jointly. You need to do this together. You need to grow together, setting aside what you already know. There's no need to repeat it all. And let's do this together as God permits. In other words, it, you know, uh, what, do they, what do we say? Lord willing, you know, see you next week, Lord willing. Whatever, recognizing that God is sovereign and he has his hand on control over everything. And so that's kind of how he ends this passage. So, so from, from verse uh, 511 to 6.3, that's basically the, the, the section that's preparing us to move into some of the harder teachings that are following, uh, going into talking about the order of Melchizedek and who he was and how Christ was involved with that. But he's also coming in, in this passage here. Um, we're going to save four till next week because I want to I want to make sure we can clearly go through that because it's it. So this passage can trip people up in some ways and make them question things about losing salvation or what does this mean and who's this talking about and what does this mean, these, these particulars. And I want to spend a lot more time on that. I don't want to try to squeeze that in now. So what we've covered tonight is really setting us up for next week, but remembering the people that I've talked about before, like the people that, uh, and I'll go into more detail next week about the people that, what, a, what an apostate is and, and, and what a, uh, what is someone that truly seemed to be a believer? And I think probably every single one of us probably knows of someone who sprouted up like a, like, you know, that was watered and sprouted and, and looked like a Christian, talked like a Christian, and no longer seems to be a Christian. In fact, they deny the faith. Um, it's talked about in the, the rocky soil, you know. Uh, that's what it was referring to. So, um, but but reviewing kind of what we talked about tonight, I just want to go through it one more time. A stunted Christian life, and this is what these people were. They were stunted. They were, and you know, I don't know if they were unwilling to grow, or they just were in this placated state, or they were maybe taking the easy route because they didn't really want to go back to all the Judaic traditions. But they're like, well, I know Christ, and I, I kind of believe, but they just weren't moving forward. I don't know if it was a denial thing, but he is encouraging them because he calls them believers. So uh, a stunted Christian life due to indifference or pride, and some people can actually be prideful. Well, I don't need doctrine. That's for the, the you know, that's that's for those proud people that wear suits and talk about that stuff, you know reformed guys you know I don't I just want to love Jesus and love my neighbor well that's wonderful that is in the Bible but there's a sense of pride that comes with that and sometimes it's because people are actually intimidated by it and they just don't know what it means and what thing and so to grow you need to dig in and, and, and not be afraid of learning doctrine and theology and it's not a scary thing it's something that we all need to have a good groundwork for um, so that can result in two things. A stunted Christian life can result in two things. One, and we've said this before, it limits our call. We are called to be ministers and teachers uh, to others. And that's these two things that I talked about before. Secondly, it does handicap us in the ability to discern good from evil. 
And, and, and nowadays, you know, if you, if you don't have a good solid answer from the Bible, you, not that you're going to argue with someone, but you might, you might lose an argument or you might, or, you, or it's, it says that we need to know this well and we need to be able to defend our faith, Paul talks about. And so a good defense of faith comes from really a good understanding, even if it's just the basic, even if you just do a flyby, this book is kind of a flyby of all the doctrines. And quite frankly, you probably already know most of these. And so it might be a good refresher just to understand it so that you know that. But digging into the meat and becoming more. Um, finally, um, we do need to be clear that mere knowledge of the Bible cannot prevent a falling away. But it is the knowledge we have, but is the knowledge we have growing us and maturing us? Those are the markers. You know, it's, it's great to go to conferences or to study or to read these things, but are we growing? Are we, do we react to people differently in a better way because of what we know? Are we more equipped to say the correct things when we encounter some difficult questions? And, and you can be sure those days are going to become more and more clear and, and people are becoming more combative these days with, with, uh, against Christians and believers and what they know. And are we applying what we know? Uh, that's just the really, there's nothing, nothing we study is of any good really unless we're truly applying it and we're, we're, we're working with these things. So um, great passage. Again, just kind of laying the groundwork for who he's talking to and, and the little bit of frustration he had with these believers. Uh, you may know people that are still on milk that really shouldn't be anymore. There's a time for it and then there's a time to move forward. You may some, know someone that, that just sort of, is in this state of limbo, encourage them to maybe step into a Bible study or step into a small group or step into a ministry of some kind so that they can begin to understand a little more. It's not always scary, some of these things, and they're good things to know and understand. It's not a, not a bad thing. So with that, I want to conclude. I would like to, um, we're going to pick back up next week in verse four and continue on. It's a, it's a great, very powerful um, uh, rest of the, rest of the chapter, and then we'll get into 7, where we continue with Melchizedek. So he's, this author has taken a sideline to address some things, and then he's going to talk about the order of Melchizedek, which is super cool and neat. So anyway, let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you again for everyone who has come out tonight, Father, uh, those who are watching online as well, Lord, that we can have a time of um, just digging into your word to, to, to get clarity on some things, Father, and to uh, sometimes things are more of a backdrop, uh, and yet at the same time in that there's encouragement uh, as to what we should be doing, Lord, and how we should be growing in you and learning more about you through your word that you've provided for us, uh, Father. We thank you for um, uh, this evening, Lord, and I pray that you uh, uh, return everyone safely to their homes and uh, back to church on Sunday, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.